Welcome to the Society of Construction Law Australia podcast, the podcast where we look at legal and technical issues facing the Australian construction industry. My name's Melissa Yeo, and I'm chair of the Society's Communications Subcommittee. Now, in this podcast, we bring you something a bit different. This is the first of a three-part series presented by Kiri Parr and Sean Brady. And in this series, Kiri offers her perspective on the compelling story of how an unreliable IT system led to innocent people going to jail. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Society of Construction Up podcast. My name is Sean Brady. I'm here with Kiri Parr, and we are going to talk about a very famous story from the UK. What is it, Kiri? It's called the Great Post Office Scandal. It's been playing out over the last 20 years in the UK. It's the most widespread miscarriage of justice in English history. And we're going to talk about this over three episodes, we think. I think it will take three episodes. Depending on how we're going to go. And the really interesting thing about this is I don't know the story, and that's quite deliberate. Um, It's fair to say you're obsessed with the story. I find it challenging and hard. I've been in the detail of it for a while now. It's quite extraordinary. And every time I read a new piece, there's a new piece of detail that comes out and I go, oh, wow, and I just shake my head. Yeah, so we're going to move through the story. I know nothing, so I'm just like you, listeners. I'm going to be as surprised as you are as we move through this. So let's kick off with part one, Kiri. This story starts at life in the early 1990s. And think about the 20,000 post offices in the UK. Everything's done with pieces of paper. Everyone's going and cashing their weekly gyro check, going to their local post office, uh, posting their checks. um, And they decided to automate all of their systems. So they're automating 20,000 outlets and they handle thousands and thousands of transactions every single day across this network. And one of the core drivers of this project is the introduction of a swipe card by the Department of Social Security. So what was going to make this project, what was really driving them going, we have to move from paper to digital. The Department of Social Services had this huge fraud issue with all of their paper-based voucher systems that was costing them £85 million a year and fraudulently cashed gyro checks. And they went, why don't we give the claimants a swipe card instead. They take their swipe card, it's linked to a central register, and we swipe that at your local post office once a week and you get your cash. The card would have rules. It could only be used once a week. Uh, It would be deactivated if it was lost. That project was the big driver behind this digitisation push in the 1990s. And the thing for the post office in the 1990s in the UK is that they had nowhere to actually swipe these cards in the post office. They were purely paper-based. So you had to digitise everything. So what they came up with was let's launch a PFI contract. So that's a private, a public, um, we call them PPPs here in Australia, a public privately funded project billion pounds. So it's in mega project territory. And what, ter- this is 1990s? It's in the early 1990s. And it's a billion pounds. It's a billion pounds. Wow. Yep. It went out to tender in 1994. And 
we could say at the time, it was the largest non-military IT system in Europe being developed here. Wow. So this was an unbelievably complex project to deliver. So it went out to tender in 1994, and in 1996, the contract was awarded to a consortium called Pathway. Pathway was almost entirely owned by a company called International Computers Limited, or ICL. At the time, it was the UK equivalent of IBM. But IBM was being in the process of being acquired by Fujitsu. Fujitsu owned about 80% of this project. So effectively, it was Fujitsu was winning winning this job. And by the end of the story, it was a Fujitsu job. And for the rest of the story, I'm just going to talk about Fujitsu. The thing is, when they did the tender assessments, Fujitsu came in last in eight of the 11 criteria that were being marked for this. But presumably not in price. Not on price. So how did they win? (laughs) How did they win? (laughs) It was the cheapest to government in terms of cost. So the Fujitsu offer was that they would bear the development costs of the software so you've got to write a piece of software that goes into 20,000 post offices around it that could take this DSS swipe card. And in exchange for bearing the software development costs, they would get a transaction fee for every time a card was swiped in a post office. So that obviously creates a real driver for Fujitsu to get this thing developed as quickly as it can, because if it does that, then it gets it in the post offices and it's starting to make money. So... There's another layer of that to not only were they really incentivized to do that, they actually had a guaranteed transaction fee period of eight years. So from, they from when the contract was signed. So the wow. fa- so the faster Fujitsu got the software <laughs> launched, the faster they would start driving revenue. So for Fujitsu, their number one thing is to get something standing up and built. So if it takes them four years to build a thing, they only get four years of they revenue. They only get four years of revenue left. Yeah, if they can wow. build it in two years. They get six six years of revenue. Wow. So from award to launch is 1996 to 99. That was, it was around three, three years. Three years, three of the eight. Three of the eight. Wow. There's a more complex story there, but we'll come to that. And that doesn't sound like a construction project gone wrong at all, does it? No, No. construction projects never go over time and over budget. No, And never incentivized for going faster. Anyway, go on. Sorry. All right. That's my teaser for episode two. So you've got this... uh, network of post offices across the UK. Now, as you can imagine, not anybody is allowed to buy a post office. Being the local sub postmaster is a very trusted role. You have to pass a whole bunch of security checks. You can imagine, you know, your local village post office, they're they're pretty respectable people. So I should say the software is called the Horizon software. We should introduce Horizon as a term for all of our listeners. So it rolled out across everybody's uh, post offices in the in 1999, 2000. How many prosecutions of sub postmasters for theft and fraud do you think might have been happening in the four years prior to the launch of this software? So everything's paper based, twenty thousand, very very little, very yeah. few. 52. So there, there absolutely is a case that there you do get fraud happening inside post offices. Without a doubt, 20,000 post offices, you, you've got to imagine somebody at some point. But it's a tiny percentage. So you're saying historically, from a cultural perspective, inside yeah. the post office, fraud is not something that is no. uh, commonplace. And 
the kind of people that they're employing to run the post offices tend to be good, solid people. They're, they're our aunts and uncles. They're our mums and dads mm. kind of people. You yeah, know? we're security checked. They're a security checked. That's yeah. right. They have to have references. And not just anybody wants to run a post office. You know, it's it's not the kind of business you go into if major criminal activity is your, is your, yes. is your motivator. Presumably there's more lucrative ways of going about that. So then we get in the four years after the rollout of Horizon, how many prosecutions do you think there <laughs> were? Go on. 220. So four times. Four times as many prosecutions. And by the time they stopped prosecuting people, which they did in around 2014, 2015 they had prosecuted 700 people for fraud. So that's actual where it had gotten all the way through to actual criminal prosecutions for theft against the post office. So this is a system designed to stop... Fraud. Fraud, and suddenly you... You You suddenly find all of this fraud. Yeah, yeah, it looks like... And and it's your people, it's not people screwing the system. It's your own people screwing the system. That's it. No one knew it, though. Guess what? they weren't allowed to publish any details. So it was never published. The post office was never required to publish who it was prosecuting or how many it was prosecuting. So this was unknown information. So no one could put the data together. No one put the data together. So does that mean if you're a postmaster or whatever they're called and you're being charged with fraud, you have have no idea how... You have no idea. Whether you're alone or whether you're part of... And that's a huge part of the story because they did for... And the post office wouldn't tell people one of their prosecutorial um, strategies was to go, you're the only one who's done this. They very much held, had people feel very, very alone and it took a really long time to unravel that. And um, these prosecutions were against counter staff at post offices, the people who had bought the licences for the small business owners that ran those local post offices. These were just real everyday people. So these are the stories of Tracy Felstead, Lee Castleton and Seema Misra. I'm going to start with Tracy's story because she's one of the um, earliest ones. Tracy's 17 years old, just finished high school. It's 1999. And her first job, guess what it is? In the post office. She's got a counter assistant job at the local post office in Camberwell Green, South London. You can just imagine it. She got a two-day training course in Horizon. So she's learn how to use it. And there were 12 staff at Camberwell. And if you've got the counter assistant job at the end of each day, you get to check your money in your tray against the Horizon system. So you're doing all your transactions during the day. At the end of the day, the Horizon's going to tell you how much should be in your tray and you reconcile them. And one day Tracy saw a small discrepancy and her manager said, it will sort itself out. You occasionally get little glitches. Don't worry about it. And she had a whole range of those over several months. And around halfway through 2000, what, we're six months into the job, we're, what, maybe 18 by now? She was having this whole spate of discrepancies. And she went away for a couple of weeks' holidays. And when she came back, the discrepancy on her till had reached 11,503 pounds. On her till? On her till. Even though she was on leave? Even though she was on leave. So 11,000 pounds is how many Australian dollars? Just shy of 20,000 Australian dollars. And the manager, the manager stopped being caring at this point in time. And what is going on here? You know, you've got your 17 and a half year old young counter assistant, 11,000 pound discrepancy on her till. Yep. And the manager goes, what have you done? 
what have you done? Two weeks later, she gets interrogated by two uh, investigators from the post office, from their internal security This is unit. the internal affairs. Yeah. Yep. They absolutely do interrogations. And basically the whole tone of that interrogation was, what did you spend the money on? You've just been on holiday. What did you spend the money on? The other thing they do is go, well, you have to tell me how you didn't steal the money. So they absolutely put all of the onus on the 18-year-old counter-assistant. So say, Horizon's you tell got me, to be right. Horizon's right. Tell me what went wrong. It's for you to do that. Guess what happened to Tracy? No. She no. got sacked. Guess what happened next to Tracy? She got charged and convicted with theft and false accounting. And at the trial, the judge was very disappointed with Tracy because at the trial she refused to pol- apologise for theft. So she was a young kid, 18, who didn't steal any money and the judge went, well, I'm going to send you to jail for one of the reasons was you didn't sit here and apologise for stealing this money. Her family had repaid the £11,500, by the way. Wow. Could you imagine that? Wow. You've got your 18-year-old kid. You've so she's going to, to jail because she's she wouldn't apologise for something she... Yeah. Doesn't believe she died. And at age 19, she went into a high security prison. And the case against her was entirely based on the information coming out of the Horizon system. And that information was accepted by the judge, the jury, and the prosecution as reliable evidence, as proof that the only possible explanation for the difference, for the discrepancy, was that Tracy had taken the money. No evidence of actual theft by Tracy Felstead was ever. So no physical evidence. No, no there's nothing thing. in the bank accounts. There's no spending. There's no fancy car out the front of her place. There's no evidence. There's no CCTV. There is nothing other than the Horizon software. How long did she go to prison for? About a year and a half, two years. She saw the most extraordinary things. She lived with the consequences of having that criminal record on her record until her conviction did eventually get quashed mm-hmm. in 2020. So how long is that? That's 19 years. 19 years. Wow. So her whole life, she was a criminal, Yeah. essentially. Story one. These stories aren't going to get better, are they? No. No. Okay, story two. All right. This is the story of Lee Castleton. So 2003, two or three years into the IT system, you'd think it's settling down by now. Mm-hmm. And Lee and his wife spent £300,000 to buy their local post office. You buy a a licence, it's like a a franchise system. They bought the Bridlington Post and uh, Lee worked behind the the, uh, post office counter and Lisa Marie worked the retail side. Common setup for the post offices is you have a little retail shop and you do post offices, one of the tills, and you otherwise sort of run a little retail agency, whether it's food and snacks or stationery, whatever. They're 35 years old and it was a slightly rundown post office, but they were going to make a go of it and make it look good. And they were really motivated to turn that post office around. Um, Six months in, things started going wrong. For a nine-week period beginning in January 2004, their horizon terminal started going haywire. It would show surpluses and then losses in the thousands. The touch screen was slow and laggy. Lee called the helpline. He called that helpline 91 times, asking for help. Going, oh, well, what what is sort it? of a period? Have you got the period there? Probably within about a f- three to five month period. So he's sitting here going, I've got this. These, he's not doing what's logical. He called uh, the area manager 
and got no help because the area manager, that system, they were very much motivated to say everything is fine. So you remember, this is the post office. Yep. Everything's got to be fine. Everything's fine. There is nothing wrong. You must be doing something at your end. And I presume if you're one of these people, you've just you've just got an IT issue. You're not imagining, I mean, this, this is, you know, we'll just, it'll just be sorted out. And yeah. Not going to go to jail, for example. No, that is not what you think will happen. And you call the helpline and the helpline says, everything looks all right at the horizon end. Mm-hmm. So he was running a system and it was balancing within one or two cents. So he'd successfully run it perfectly for a while. And then five months in, nothing started adding up. So he goes, the helpline isn't telling me what's going wrong. Let's bring the auditors from the post office in to see if they can work out what's going on. Because, I mean, it's your accounting system, right? Yep, yep. You want to be able to investigate the accounting system. And, and it's the accounting system they give you to use. Yes. So, yep. That's yep. absolutely it. And I suppose it's worth remembering that you move from a system that was entirely paper-based where you could see everything to a system where you're dependent on on what part of the accounting system you're allowed to see. Um, so the auditors arrived. Do you think they're helpful, Sean? I, I'm guessing there's no part of this story that seems particularly pleasant, so no. So um, they arrive at 9am the next morning and he's suspended on the spot for being £22,963 down. So the discrepancy between what's in his till and what the Horizon system is saying is £22,000. And they suspend him on the spot? On the spot. Wow. And he was interrogated, sacked and sued in the Scarborough County Court for that shortfall. Now, thing is, the post office didn't turn up to the county court case. And so Lee was successful in the county court, but the post office decided to take take it on no. appeal and took it to the high court. No. So they don't turn up at the lower court. There had been some insurance which was covering the Lee's costs of that first action. Yep. But by the time he got to the high court, he had no money left and he had no choice but to represent himself. Oh, this is this is quite a nice detail. What do you think a lawyer for the post office said to Lee before they went into that high court case? If you persist with this claim, the post office will ruin you. Wow, so this the is aggression. The aggression. So, so bring this him is to the high court anyway and then... So have... this is the culture of it. You can't, don't take on the post office. We've got a deeper pocket from you. So that's the very deliberate use of corporate power against very, very small, against their own post offices. It says an awful lot about this, um, the culture in play. And the high court case... Uh, the judge was dismissive of Lee's arguments that the terminal was at fault. The judge took the position that once Lee had admitted that he was the accounting party, so that he accepted that contractually he was responsible for the accounting of his post office branch, the burden of proof fell on him to prove that the Horizon system wasn't working. So it was viewed as a tool that simply helped him dispense his responsibilities. Yeah. But it was designed as a tool that actually was a black box that he couldn't see into and now was doing strange things. The post office called an expert at this trial against Lee Castleton. His name's Mr Gareth Jenkins, and I want you to remember that name for later. Gareth Jenkins. Gareth yep. Jenkins, write it down. And he gave evidence, he's a Fujitsu employee, and he gave evidence that there is nothing wrong with the Fujitsu Horizon system. So this is in 2003, remember? Post office has an expert 
giving evidence that everything is fine. Sorry, that the trial was happening around 2005, 2006. The judge ruled that since the logic of the system is correct, the conclusion is inescapable that the Horizon system was working properly in all material respects and that the shortfall is real and not illusory. <laughs> yep. 2006, Lee's ordered to pay post office's claim of £26,000 and the post office's legal costs. And how much? £321,000. So the whole lot cost the same as what they paid, paid to buy the post office franchise, if you want to use that term, in the very beginning. Yeah. Lee's family was left destitute and he still has a trustee in bankruptcy to this day. All right. Third story. This is the story of Seema Misra. Now, they're a lovely young couple who bought the West by Fleet Cost Cutters. And in this case, Davinda, the husband, ran the retail store and Seema Misra ran the post office till. They took over the shop on the 29th of June 2005. And at the end of her first day of training, Seema's counter was down 100 pounds post office trainer couldn't understand what was happening. So this is in training? In this training. Is, there wasn't even like a grace period where the thing behaved. It, no. No. In training. And the next day she had, a, the next week she had a new trainer. At the end of that week, her counter was 400 pounds down. The new trainer couldn't understand what was happening. So this is different because you've got a witness who is like an official representative of the post office there. And he said he'd go back and look at it, but they never heard from him again. And things just went from bad to worse. Seema's spent years trying to work out what was happening. They were firing staff because they thought staff might have been taking money from the tills. And look, it had a massive psychological impact on on Seema. She got to the point where she would just accept whatever Horizon was telling her should have been in her till at the end of the day. She couldn't solve what was going on. Auditors arrived at her post office on the 14th of January 2008, at which point they calculated a discrepancy of £79,000. And Seema admitted that she had signed off the accounts that were coming through the Horizon system because she'd been trying to save her job. And, you know, the thing that happened with discrepancies is that what people were doing was they were funding their own money back into the post office. And think about this. Every time there's a discrepancy at the end of the day, you have to make it good if yep. you're going to sign off on it. So people were using their own money. Personal money. Personal money to try and get keep things to balance. Um, she's prosecuted for theft. And again, the only evidence that the post office bring is that the horizon system is infallible. I mean, if the legal system itself was noticing this is happening quite a few times, and these are all the same sort of cases. It doesn't notice. It doesn't notice. It does not notice. There is a fairly complex piece of analysis done about why the Court of Appeal didn't notice and why it should have noticed and how it operated. There's a really complex story, a piece of analysis that sits on that very, very point, which is quite extraordinary in and of itself. It tells you something about how the legal system works. Now, Seema thought she was alone because she was being told by the post office that nobody else had these issues with the Horizon system. But the day before trial, she ran an internet search called Post Office Court Case Help. And the name of Joe Hamilton came up because Joe had been convicted and she'd been the subject of a local news article which followed a piece of investigative journalism by Rebecca Thompson into Horizon that had been published just three weeks before this trial. So her trial's happening at the time when the issue is starting, to, starting get to get public. By 2019, there were multiple people being prosecuted by the post office for theft, all of whom are saying they have problems with the Horizon system. So Seema realises she's not alone. 
they get the trial postponed. She gets a new legal team because suddenly she's connected with the people who are active in this space. And she gets an expert appointed to help her with the story. Her new legal team start asking for the post office to go, we need evidence. We need you to give us the known error logs from the horizon system so we can start working out what happens. What in happened. the system. Well, so suddenly you're starting to get people who want to get into the black box. Yeah. The post office successfully avoided answering four disclosure requests relating to Horizon. The post office argued that the requests were too vague, expensive and time-consuming to retrieve. So a bunch of technicalities, essentially. Yeah. So the court just does not understand what discovery might look like and the post office has managed to convince, of course, they don't need it, they have everything that they need, um, the Horizon system is fine. And they successfully prosecute that argument. That doesn't get They released. do not get the evidence. On 11th of November 2010, Seema Misra is sent to prison for 15 months. It was the day of her daughter's 10th birthday and she had just found out she was pregnant. My goodness. And just remember, she went to prison for stealing £80,000, but there was no evidence of theft, no fingerprints, no CCTV, no unknown amounts of money going into her bank account, no incriminating evidence in her home. There was only the Horizon records. Which were what the post office said they were because they weren't releasing anything behind yep. the scenes. Yeah. So before we end this episode, I just want to give you a brief overview of how this story unraveled. Yep. Because it has unraveled. And this is where I'll introduce you to one other sub-postmaster, a guy called Alan Bates, and Alan Bates must be the most extraordinary uh, of gentlemen. He bought a post office back in 2001 and had the Horizon system installed, and uh, basically he had the same problems, and for him, his story, basically the post office terminated his licence in 2003, and basically Alan chose to walk away from his £100,000 investment in his post office and he wasn't prosecuted, but he chose not to sue the post office because, as his lawyers tell him, if their pockets are deeper than yours, you won't be able to take on the post office. Post office yeah. But he's lost his, his life's savings and his investment. Now, he didn't stop there because he went, something is wrong here. So he is the architect of a campaign that has been going for 20 years now. Now, he could not get his campaign up with the National Federation of Subpostmasters. So there is a like a union body for Federation of Subpostmasters. There's a relationship between them and the post office, which means they they were very happy to say the Horizon system was fine. So they got no help from their own union. But he set up a website called Post Office Victims and on the 8th of November 2009 in the Village Hall in Compton, he had his first meeting. About 20 to 25 postmasters attended. Yep. And they became the Justice for Sub Postmasters Alliance. In 2009. In 2009. So there were journalists chasing the story, journalists led by a publication called Computer Weekly. And they had a young journalist, Rebecca Thompson, who they sent out to pursue the story. And at about the same time, a journalist called Nick Wallace with the BBC picked up the Seema Misra story because he happened to have Davinda Misra, the husband in his cab. By about 2010, there's a couple of government ministers who start paying attention because this noise that's being generated about 
the issues with the Horizon scandal are getting so big they're starting to ask what happened. Um, so we had five years of government pressure. It led to the post office appointing an independent expert to review the Horizon system in 2012. So the post office did post this. office <laughs> appointed an independent expert to review Wouldn't the Horizon that be system. A, a gig as an expert witness with that client, yeah. And uh, in about 2013, they started a mediation scheme because they knew that there had been some issues and they were trying to do some deals. I need you to know next that both the mediation scheme and the independent expert was terminated in 2015. By so we knew something was going wrong. By the post office. By the post office. And <laughs> That's so, a good look. <laughs> what is Alan Bates going to do now? How do they get redressed? So they created enough pressure to get the government putting pressure on the post office to appoint an independent expert to run a mediation scheme to resolve these issues. The post office terminates. What are they going to do next? They found litigation funding and they started a class action in 2016. So this is big litigation. There were 589 claimants in this class action. Of the 700? Of the 700 or so have been prosecuted. And 61 of them had criminal prosecutions. Justice Fraser was appointed. I think uh, we all owe a debt of gratitude to Justice Fraser. The post office defended the class action in 2019. Their defence is there is no serious problem with Horizon and that Horizon is fundamentally robust and reliable. Next episode, I want to take you into the Horizon story. Uh, and just remember, this is the largest non-military IT system in Europe, and I'm going to take you through how it went wrong. Kerry, thank you very much. Thank you, Sean. Looking forward to part two.